This is the Photo Experiment Podcast, brought to you by PhotoBiz X. Hey, it's Andrew Helmich here from Impact Images and PhotoBiz X. Welcome to this episode of the Photography Experiment Podcast. This is episode number 25, and today we're talking creative pet photography with one of the most creative photographers I know, and I know you're absolutely going to love what she has to share, and more so, well, maybe not more so, (laughs) just as much her photography. It is just incredible. I'm talking about Angie Connell, and I urge you to pause the episode right now, particularly if you are listening on a phone or in your car or at the gym, stop and have a look at the show notes so you can see and experience Angie's work. So you know exactly what we're talking about here. And you can find an example of her beautiful work. A number of images are there in the show notes over at photobizx.com forward slash tpx25. It really will make a difference to how you see Angie and where she's coming from with this interview. It'll also give you a better idea about why I'm asking the questions that I do in this interview. So again, check out her work in the show notes, photobizx.com forward slash tpx25. That's enough from me. Let's get into this. I know you're going to love Angie and what she shares in this interview. It's rare in the world of photography today to see something unique or to see a photographer creating something different. In a social media run world where we are oversaturated by imagery, It feels like an impossible task to be different, to find your specialty and to stand out from the crowd. At the same time, we're told to find what moves us as a person, as a photographer or an artist, and focus on that. And if we do, if we let our unique voice come to the surface and shine through in our work, we will have found that we have no competition because no one is the same as us. We're also told, do this and we'll connect with our perfect clients who will be drawn to our vision and life as a successful creator will be assured. The problem is finding and recognizing that unique voice and translating it to our work is tough. But today's guest has done exactly this. Her photography is unique. It's captivating, thought-provoking, inspiring, funny, quirky, and just damn good. She shoots conceptual pet photography for the quirky pet lovers in the world. She's becoming more and more recognised within the industry by her peers, and I have a feeling she will become known around the world if she continues to produce the work she has been. I'm talking about Angie Connell, and I'm wrapped to have her with us now. Angie, welcome. (laughs) I was really trying not to giggle during that. That was awesome. (laughs) Why would you want to giggle through that? I need you in my pocket that I can just whip you out whenever I need to do a bit of self-promotion. That was lovely. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) It's all true. Do you feel like that? Do you feel like you've found, you know, what moves you, your unique voice? Is that how you're producing what you are? Yeah, definitely. I feel that, well, I've always tried to produce work that speaks to me and speaks to the subject and sort of infuse my humor in it. So it's been like that since I found my niche, but there was a little bit of exploring before that, obviously. (laughs) For sure. Well, let's go into that in a minute. So how would you describe your niche? If I run into you, um, I guess the classic term is an elevator pitch. So if I ran into you, you know, in the elevator and said, what do you do? How do you describe it? With great difficulty. (laughs) 
<laughs> That's why I always get kind of quite amused, or not amused, but intrigued by how people try to describe my work because I always have quite a bit of difficulty, actually. I suppose I usually sort of say I make sort of animal art with quirk and then I usually have to try and show people sort of examples of my work because when I try to explain it verbally, I start getting quite strange looks. <laughs> And that actually sometimes continues after I show them visually as well, but uh, usually it brings more bit of understanding. <laughs> well, why don't you describe for the listener who's listening one of your favourite photos? It always changes, but my current favourite is Lentil the Carrot Farmer. So that's actually my own rabbit muse. So he sort of pops up in a lot of my work whenever I sort of want to try something new. It usually gets tried on him first. And so the carrot farmer is him sort of dressed up in sort of like what you would imagine a sort of older farmer in the 1940s to be wearing in their sort of Sunday best, holding a carrot in front of, you know, his little home in amongst the carrot field. So I'm looking at this photo. So it looks like a UK farmer from the old days wearing a tweed jacket, yeah. a little bow tie. <laughs> What's that style of hat called? I don't know what it's called. Oh, yeah, I don't know. It's um, very English where it's sort of a bit longer at the yes. back. It comes into a peak. Um, the UK oh, listeners will know. A peaky blinder? Oh, no, that was the show, but it was because they wore those, yeah, something like a peak something, yeah. So this is basically, I mean, you've constructed this image or did you actually, do you really dress up Lentil the rabbit in this outfit? No. (laughs) (laughs) He's a patient rabbit, but he's not that patient. (laughs) Okay, because it looks like he's really wearing that hat and that jacket and the bow tie, so that's all done digitally. Yeah, yeah. So I sort of dressed up. A little, um, well, I stuffed like a kid's skivvy with a scarf to sort of make it sitting up and then I dressed it with the little jacket. So that's actually a jacket I found in a op shop. I think it's just a little baby's jacket. So it really was quite small to start with and I got a baby's skivvy, which I think I ended up replacing with a little sort of knitted vest underneath. The bow tie was that big. So I made it like a little person and stuffed the arms and sort of pinned it so it was sort of in that position. And then I inserted Lentil's headshot and his little paw into it. (laughs) So a lot of the work you do is done, I guess you capture a bunch in camera and then you do a lot of digital reworking later on in post. Oh, heaps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever's in my head doesn't usually translate to what animals are willing to do. (laughs) They're willing to jump around and pose for treats, but so you sort of have to work with what they're willing to give in a photo shoot and then do the rest digitally, uh, (laughs) the rest on the computer afterwards to fully recreate what's in my head, that's for sure. And I know that with your earlier works, when I first started seeing your work popping up, and what really grabbed my attention in the early days, which I guess is only a couple of years ago, was <laughs> where it looked like you were combining your clients' bodies with their pet's head. <laughs> yeah. So are you still doing that kind of work? Not as much. Like I'll do that at the request of a client, but I'm not doing that as part of any sort of personal work, if that makes sense. So yeah, I'm happy, more than happy to do it if it's requested by the clients, in which they do, because they see that that body of work, which I was doing when I was studying and it's still around, like I still show it, I still love it. So clients do see that body of work and request something similar for them, but I don't pursue that style for my personal work anymore. Do you consider yourself an artist or a photographer? 
<laughs> oh, it took me ages to call myself a photographer. So I think I'm still calling myself a photographer, but I think I'm moving more into calling myself an artist because I'm going into different mediums now as well. So it starts getting a little bit confusing. Like I'm going into textile art as well. So it's so funny you just asked me that because I've just recently started using the word artist. That's interesting. Well, and the reason I asked you is it sounds like you've already moved away. Personally, it sounds like you've progress past that look of combining a client's body with their pet's head. So when someone asks you to do that because they like what you produce, they've seen that body of work and they want that for themselves, does that feel like, oh man, I don't want to go back and do that again? Or are you excited to still go and revisit that? Oh no, I get really excited making those type of images. It's just, I suppose, why I don't make it as part of my personal work anymore is my personal work is usually I want to try new ideas and keep on trying different things. So I don't pursue it that way, but I'm more than happy when someone asks me to do it because it's always different. It's like, it's a new subject. It's a new person. There's always new ideas with it, even if the idea of the head with the body has been done before, but it's always new and fun for sure. But yeah, my personal work is more for me to try new things out and whether it succeeds or fails is always something to be seen, but that's more my outlet for trying different stuff. So how do you measure failure or success with your personal work? Yeah, whether I have confidence to show it to people or not. (laughs) (laughs) If I like it, I'll put it out there. If I don't like it for whatever reason, I'll put it on the shelf for a while until I have a bit more time to contemplate it. There has been stuff that I haven't wanted to show people and um, for whatever reason, I don't know what it is sometimes. I struggle with perfectionism in my images a lot. Like I spend so much time working on an image that you become obsessed with the little details when the bigger picture is very much there and I start not liking it because, you know, oh, I don't know, the edges haven't been cut out in a certain section or one section's blurry and then I'll start disliking an image. And then when I get around to showing people, everyone's like, oh, my God, that's that's amazing. That's great. Like, why haven't you showed us this earlier? And so I have to always remind myself that sometimes my failures are not what other people would consider failures. But, you know, it's hard to pinpoint it on one exact thing. I'm not too sure. Yeah. I mean, does it matter? No, probably not. Well, let's look at it from the other side. Let's say you love an image, but you show it to people and they are, mm, yeah, that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, is that okay? Yeah, exactly. It works both ways, doesn't it? Um, yeah, like I think that's why I have to really love an image to put it out there. And so if I really love it and I put it out there and someone doesn't particularly like it, I suppose I have the confidence in loving it so much for me that I'm like, oh, well, not everyone can you know appreciate what you love like and I'm used to it with my images as well like they can be pretty polarizing like I find that people either really love them or just get like really weirded out (laughs) (laughs) and don't like it so I think I'm fairly accepting of people not liking my stuff like not everyone can like everything but I suppose if I really like an image and put it out and someone doesn't like it that's okay but if I put an image out and, you know, other people don't like it. I suppose, yeah, that's more difficult to manage maybe. I don't know. But, yeah, at the end of the day, not everyone can love your work. So you just got to keep on producing and putting it out there and uh, managing the anxiety with a bit of wine. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. 
I suppose. Uh, I mean, you did mention that you have clients and people are coming in and asking for these things and you have a price list on your website. I mean, it looks like you are, you're trying to get work, paid work, but then you also talk already a fair bit about personal work. So what's the driving force behind what you produce? The driving force is, I suppose, creating in general. Like I get really restless if I'm not working on something. So it's for myself to begin with. So whether if, you know, like I do 50-50, so I work on client stuff and then I work on stuff for myself that I end up selling for people for whatever reason. So if I'm not working on client stuff, then I'll use that time to work on personal work as long as I'm creating something at most times, I suppose. So does that actually mean you sell your personal work? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who buys it and how do you sell it? Well, that's what I'm sort of working on at the moment. So like up until for the next month, I suppose, you just send me an email and we work it out. Whereas I'm trying to formalize that process now because I do keep on getting inquiries about it. And because it's not necessarily an easy process, like going to a website and just picking out what you want and it all being easy for the consumer to buy something, you sort of have to email me and then I'll send a price list and we'll discuss it, blah, blah, blah. So I've been working on it for the last few months, a website, Oddball Tales. So it's going to be the other side of my business. So Angie Connell Photography is going to stay as my service-based business and Oddball Tales is going to become a product-based business. So on that website, I'll be selling prints, I've got an obsession with like finding vintage frames and matching it with my work. So I'll be selling, um, I've got like a full cupboard of that that I've just photographed the other day and I'll be putting that onto the website. And also, yeah, I said before, I've gotten into textile art. So I'm doing pet portraits bar embroidery as well and also embroidery art. So that will all be on the Oddball Tales website. Will you actually put work that's been commissioned by a client into that website as well so people can buy previous clients work no 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 they have to be separate yeah yeah so yeah most clients don't want their work onward sold it's just a personal thing for them and they want it to be a one-off and just of their animal for their pleasure all of my personal work if it's not done with my animal or somebody who I know's animal, if it's someone I don't know, it's on the condition, they will receive a little print, but the shoot's done for free on the condition that I'm going to keep on selling this as personal work. So if I want a certain animal and so I'll do a model call for a certain animal for an image that I have in my head, they'll receive a four print of the resulting artwork but yeah, I'll be able to use that onward selling if that, yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Cool. But yeah, quite work. Yeah, no. Can you or are you making a living shooting this style of photography or do you have to do other things in conjunction with this work? I've never tried to make a full-time living out of it. I started out as a mental health nurse. Like I left school and went straight into uni and studied nursing. And so I only went into photography when I was 32, I left nursing full time. And at the time when I went to study photography, I was really burnt out with nursing and I thought, nah, I'm going to give up nursing and go into the creative field full time. And so I was working casually when I was studying. And then when I came out of studying to, you know, instead of jumping in straight away, I thought I'll do part-time nursing and part-time photography. And then 
I just came to the realization about six months ago because I kept on saying, oh, no, I'll eventually get out of nursing. But I kind of realized I really enjoy the balance now. Like I'm totally enjoying nursing now that I'm just doing five shifts a fortnight. And I love balancing that with photography. So I've sort of given up on the illusion, or not the illusion, but saying, oh, I'm going to go into photography full time. Because at the moment, I just love the balance. I love using the right hand side of my brain. I love using the left hand side. And it's just really suiting me. So if, if I'm loving it, I'm not seeing the point of changing that balance. It might change in the future. But at the moment, it's the balance of the two is making a full-time income. So I've never tried to make it my full-time job, essentially. I mean, that makes sense. No one says you have to make a full-time living to, I mean, do you feel like you have to be full-time to be seen? I think I did. Yeah. I think I did for a while. Yeah. So why did that change? Or how did that change? I think I just realized that I have to just worry about myself and not what other people think. <laughs> and You know, like it is a bit of a balance, you know, sometimes like everyone, when you put yourself out there as a creative, there is a bit of a public image, I suppose, a little bit. And, you know, there's a huge shift in the photography field that majority of photographers back however many years ago were full time. And now majority of photographers are probably part time. Oh, maybe not the majority, but there's a lot more part-time photographers. And there's the whole, you know, argument, oh, full-time photography, part-time photography. And there's a little bit of, little bit of biased maybe, depending on who you speak to, I suppose. So I suppose I'm like surrounded by quite a few full-time photographers and they've never been, it's, it's all in my own head. What I'm rambling about is I think I struggled with, you know, um, it in my own head. I've never felt personal pressure to be a full-time photographer, but I suppose sometimes success is measured maybe if you make a full-time living out of something. I don't know. And I think I just came to the realisation at the end of the day is that success for me is being happy with what I do and I wanted to change it because I wasn't happy with nursing full-time, but now I've discovered that I actually love nursing (laughs) part-time. And if I'm happy with that and I'm happy with the balance of the two, then then that's all that matters, I suppose, at the end of the day. Yeah, I I agree. And I think that that stigma that maybe gets attached to being a part-time photographer from other photographers, you know, that is real and it's out there. But I think I've got a feeling that you haven't experienced any of that because if any other photographer full-time or not comes and sees your work I mean you're not doing the work of someone who's just dabbling in photography your stuff stands out it's unique I mean no one's ever going to criticize you for being part-time when they see what you're producing ever yeah well oh thank you (laughs) (laughs) I was always like I was trying to I was probably being a little bit yeah I was trying to watch my words because no one's ever particularly said to me about anything about part-time photography but I've heard plenty of arguments about it and I don't necessarily talk about my nursing that much. I don't know if a lot of my fellow photographers know I'm like a nurse as well. I'm not too sure. I, I don't bring it up that much. Isn't that funny? So, so yeah, I'm not too sure if people realise sometimes I do do nursing part-time still. But, yeah, like I charge, you know, the amount of money that I would be charging if I was doing full-time as well. It's just that I take on less commissions than I would if I was full-time. And whether I'd have enough commissions 
to support myself full-time. I'm not too sure. I don't market myself that much at the moment and it supports me part-time. So if I did more marketing, I might be able to make it full-time, but then I'd have to give up nursing. And You don't want to. I'm not too sure if I want to. Sure. <laughs> you mentioned pricing there and I know that on your website there's a $495 creative fee and the client has mm-hmm. to put up half of that to actually book the session. Yeah. What do they get for that 495 and then what are the add-ons? Like how does the process work with you? I want one of these unique pet portraits for my wall. Yeah, so the creative fee covers the shoot and everything beforehand. So basically the process starts in they'll get in contact and say, hey, I want to, I want you to do a, a portrait of my pet. So then there is quite a bit of information on my site and it is very clear from my site, I think, of what type of work I do. <laughs> So most of the time when they get in contact, they're sort of quite aware of what they're asking for as it is. So I'll start off with a questionnaire. It's a fairly lengthy questionnaire and it's basically to start the process of me understanding what they're looking for, what the story of their pet is, if they have any ideas that they want to me to flesh out and work out or whether they wanted to leave it up to me to come up with something. And then from there, it goes to us either meeting up via a phone call, but if they're in the area, then I prefer to pop over to the house and meet the pet and see where they're going to be, sort of what sort of style they have in their house and where they're going to put the artwork. And then from there, I will then know what they want I'll come up with some ideas and put them forward and I'll also know by that stage probably how long it's going to take me to complete the artwork so I can then give them a quote for the artwork as well and once they sort of okay that then we book in the date they pay the creative fee which is the 495 so the 495 sort of basically covers the coming up with the concept and the shoot day. And it also has a small prop allowance as well in that. If it's going to be anything more extensive for the props, then that will end up costing extra. And then I sort of come up with the price for the final artwork by how many hours it's probably going to take to edit. So if it's a fairly simple concept, then it's going to be cheaper. And if it's a fairly extensive concept, then it's going to be a bit more expensive. And I charge around $80 an hour for editing. Right. What's the most common size that people will order for their wall? A2 and A0 would be probably the most common, probably more A0. I'm not even familiar with those sites. Is that like a 16 by 20? Ooh. Uh, (laughs) uh, Oh, gosh. Is it? Maybe? I don't. (laughs) That's okay. So A2 is about the size, is it? Oh, I'd have to think that. A2 is the most common? Yeah, like 50-50. A2 is what I can print off at home and then A0 I have to send to the printer and it's probably 50-50 between those two sizes. It has to do with how much wall space they have. I don't actually charge that much difference between an A3 to a, you know, bigger. It's only the slight difference in costs in printing. Like what I charge for is more my time with editing. And I know it's a little bit different with domestic portraiture, like where you charge on 
more the size and the products, whereas, yeah, I definitely charge on the time. <laughs> yeah, well, that, that makes sense. I mean, because the paper cost at the end of the day isn't going to be the big deciding factor for you. It's the time that goes into the post. No, and I'd rather them go for bigger and better. Um, yeah, I'd rather them go for bigger. So, yeah, it really, I think there's between A3 and like A0, I think there's only like $200 difference. Right. So for the listener, an A2 is around a 16 by 24. A0, we're looking at 33 by 47 inches. So they're getting pretty large. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Wow, pretty big. Okay, let me narrow this down more. Let's say that I want to get a photo, some artwork of Linda, my wife, and Roxy, our (laughs) schnauzer. And I want to do one of these combinations. What what do you call the portrait where you combine the pet's head with the owner's body? Oh, when pets become their humans. (laughs) Yes. Okay. So let's say I want to commission you to do one of those for me. Mm. I'm guessing I have to come to Melbourne for this. Yeah. Yeah, you would. But like, you know, I do have, because I have been getting quite a few over the last year um, interstate inquiries. There was a few coming from Brisbane. So in a couple of months, I think I'm going up to Brisbane. Oh, no, maybe it might be in August. So you're going to do them together in one hit. Yeah, yeah, because basically I did sort of say to them if, you know, if there's not a strict time limit, I've now got a couple of, you know, inquiries from Brisbane. It's three now, I think, yeah. So, and I'm happy to come up because I've got family in Brisbane as well. Sure. (laughs) So, you know, like, you know, it's a nice little combo really and I can go up there, visit family, do three shoots and that's all fun. That's fine with me, like that Costing-wise, that will work out quite well. I want to lock um, you down. I want you to answer my questions for a second. Yeah. So I want to commission you to do some photos of Linda and Ash now. So I'm going to come to Melbourne. Like how do we get from what I'm thinking I've seen on your website? What's the next process as far as you coming up with a concept? Or do I come up with that? Well, yeah, it depends. So I would be sending you the questionnaire. And part of that is all sorts of questions about you know, would be about Linda, would be about your schnauzer, your interests, what you look for in artwork, what is the important message that you want to sort of display with this artwork. And one of the questions is, is like, is there artwork of mine that you've seen that you're like, wow, I want something like that? So for you, you would be saying, yep, I've seen your combinations of when pets become their humans, I want something like that. Another question is something along the lines of, is there something specific you have in mind? And it's okay if you don't, because that's what I'm here for. But if you do have something in your head that you want me to flesh out, then I'm more than happy to sort of work on that idea as well. So some do come and say, I have no idea. (laughs) I just like your stuff and, you know, just throw some stuff at me and, you know, we'll go from there. And other people do come with quite specific ideas. (laughs) Like one client came and she wanted a combination, her cat combined with a crocodile. I would never have come up with that myself. (laughs) But that was, you know, like her, because the cat was her her husband's kind of cat and his interests was crocodiles. Like he had up to 300 paraphernalia of, of crocodiles in their house. So as a present, she wanted like this, you know, combination of a crocodile with a cat. So <laughs> that was her idea. So I had to sort of flesh that out <laughs> for her to work out how to do it. <laughs> All right. Okay. So it really could go anywhere. So let's say we settle on a concept. We're happy with it. So you go, I'm imagining you would photograph 
Roxy Vishnauza and Linda in different yeah. profiles and with the backgrounds that we've worked out. So, and then what do we walk away then? And is it a month? Is it two months? When do we see the final artwork? I try to keep it to a month, but I usually am able to sort of say at the beginning, depending on what's going on, yep, it's going to take me. Or it's a little, I usually like under promise over deliver. So if I say a month, I usually try and get it in three weeks. Yeah, sure. <laughs> but if it's more going to be, yeah, like if things are really busy, then I'll say it's going to be this long. Usually as a rule, I try to keep it at a month. I usually can get an edit done like an 80% of the edit done within 16 hours. But then I usually like to leave it for a week and then come back to it at least because there's just things that you don't see when you sit down to do a long edit. And then you come back and you're like, ooh, probably could change this, uh, fix this up and do the finishing touches over a few hours here and there. Wow. Um, so 16 to 20 hours on a piece of art. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So you would have given me a quote then. Would you already be giving me a price for my print or you give me a price first up just to do the work? Like how does that part work with your business? Well, basically they'll know the cost of the image before like the shoot essentially. Okay. If I misquote, if it takes me heaps longer than what I say it's going to and cost, I just accept that myself. <laughs> and I've gotten like now I've gotten pretty good at knowing how long it's going to take me and also knowing when to stop. I think at the beginning I got so caught up in these little details that basically people don't notice that I was spending all these extra hours and which is, you know, it's just time and money, I suppose, at the end of the day, realistically. So I've gotten pretty good now knowing how long something's going to take me and being upfront about that. And if it does take me a little bit longer than, you know, say lovey. <laughs> <laughs> so let's say I'm going to fall into that category where I'm in the 80 percenters. It's a, you know, roughly 20 hours and I want a, a, something the size that you mentioned. So anywhere between an A0 or an A2, how much am I up for? Off the top of my head, I think that's around 1800 or 2000 Okay. So it's not crazy expensive to get something super unique. Not crazy. It's it, no. Wow. No, I don't think so. No way. No way. <laughs> Some people think it is, but then other people think it's really cheap. So, yeah, I – oh, no, it'll probably be a little bit more now because I raised my prices not that long ago. So I do have to look at a sheet. Oh, that's okay. I've got it all documented. But that's a ballpark figure. Yeah, I think it might be two, three these days, like, because I increased it, but then I sort of am adding a few bits and pieces as well. So I sort of just increased it so I'd be able to just throw in these little bits and pieces um, without it affecting my profit. So, like, now I throw in. So what used to be sort of extras that you could pay for, I just throw in now. Like, I've just raised all of my prices by 450 so I can throw in some gift cards and also a gift print so they have sort of, you know, for, Christmas, they have some quirky cards to send out to their friends and yeah, family and nice. their artwork on it and they love that. And um, also just a get like an A4 size of the image as well that they can have. And also I was thinking of doing just some other little gift things, but I haven't started that yet, like just magnets, a magnet for the fridge and stuff like that. Nice. But I haven't nice. done it. So take me and the listener back to when you first dabbled in this. You know, I guess you were at, uh, was it photography school or design school? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, you first have a try at this. Uh, I imagine that the quality is not as good as what it is now. 
But how was it received? You know, because I'm imagining you have lecturers and other students, friends there. What sort of <laughs> feedback were you getting in those early days? Was it all positive? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was funny. Like I went into TAFE thinking that I was going to be a travel and documentary photographer. <laughs> and obviously things kind of changed drastically from there. Because I remember I was just heart set on doing documentary photography. And I remember one of my first assignments, I'm like, right, I'm turning this into a documentary assignment. And because I've worked with refugees in my nursing job, I thought I'd love to do, you know, a bit of a story with them. And I remember I was in the house and I was moving like it was a bachelor pad of these guys from Pakistan. And, you know, like <laughs> it could have been neater. And I was moving furniture and cleaning up all the mess and changing, you know, um, I think I changed the curtains like from the bathroom, to, uh, from the bedroom into the lounge room because there were heaps of nice curtains. And I want to take some portraits in the lounge room. And I, I just walked away from that going, I'm not a documentary photographer. <laughs> that was the lesson I learned. And then I think the next, next subject after that was Photoshop and we had to start learning, you know, basic Photoshop. You keep on building those skills on top of each other. And one of the assignments was you had to combine four or five images into one. So that was the first time that I did any of those um, when pets become their human. So it was two friends of mine who sort of put on some 1960s sort of inspired clothing and he was sitting on the chair and she was sitting on the arm of the chair with a glass of wine and then I replaced both of their heads with their two pet dogs and it was just it was just a bit of a joy to make all round. Like we were laughing so much while we were shooting it. And then when I was editing it with, you know, 20 people in the computer lab, you know, everyone was walking past and going, oh, that's so funny. And I was giggling while I was editing it. And it was just one of those things. I was just like, well, that was heaps of fun. Let's do more. <laughs> so then I like, we had to do a folio of work and we could pick what the topic was like you could do anything so I decided that I was going to do a whole folio of <laughs> pets becoming their humans and yeah it sort of started that's when I sort of found that that's what I wanted to do basically was that assignment <laughs> that was almost by accident that's so good yeah <laughs> I mean yeah. you just had to come up with something and that's what you came up with and then yeah so you found it pretty quickly and easily yeah, like I literally can narrow it down to one assignment and that's what I've done ever since. <laughs> like literally that's what I've done ever since. I've just stopped photographing humans altogether. Like I just enjoy photographing pets and like I just figure once if I was going to like leave nurse because at the time I figured that I was going to leave nursing full time and I'm like, well, I don't want to go from one career to another career that I don't fully enjoy. So I'm like, well, this is what I'm finding the most joy in, so let's make this work. <laughs> Whereas I get stressed out photographing humans to the max. <laughs> <laughs> Did anyone tell you in those early days that, you know, you can't survive on this, this won't work? Did you get any negative kind of response? Oh, my dad. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Who's going to pay for that? Is that what you got? That sort of yeah. Oh, man, he was so stressed for me. Like, I remember, well, yeah, like, so when I decided, because I was living away from Melbourne and my family are in Melbourne, and I remember telling dad, 
hey dad you know so guess what I've decided to go back to TAFE and study photography and I'll probably be leaving nursing and you know I think he went gray on the spot (laughs) if he could have possibly gone any grayer and he was just like oh god no oh 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 no I I don't know no this no (laughs) he was was just a bit beside himself you know I mean it just came out of worry for me I mean as far as he was concerned you know there's no money in photography like and I heard about it at every family dinner, like I go over there, you know, once a week for family dinner and, and every week he'd sort of pulled some images up from the newspaper and going, look, this image wasn't even paid for. Like, you know, it's just from Geshe. They probably paid, you know, $10 and, you know, there'd always be something. And then so when I decided, you know, that I wanted to go into pet photography, I was like, oh, God, like I was dreading telling my father already he'd <laughs> gone grayer with me telling me that I wanted to go into photography, let alone pet photography. And uh, I told my sister and she goes, well, I don't know how you're going to tell him, but just make sure I'm around for dinner when you do. (laughs) (laughs) I want to be there, you know, like, oh my God. Anyway, so I got the guts after a couple of wines to tell him, I'm like, oh, listen, Dad, you know, you've been asking me what direction I'm going to go in photography for the last couple of years. And I've decided, you know, I'm going to go into pet photography. And he was just like, oh, Oh, he's like brilliant. <laughs> really? He went in the total opposite direction to what I was expecting. He goes, People spend heaps of money on, on pets. But this is he goes, Did you know that in the recession the pet industry was the only industry that increased like there was increased spending in? I was How like, No, funny. I didn't know that. He goes and he's like, Oh my this is brilliant. <laughs> so, so that was a complete sort of turnaround and he's been fine ever since. But yeah, that was probably the only sort of initial sort of anxiety for my well-being about me going into pet photography. <laughs> Otherwise, everyone else was like, yeah, really supportive and positive about what I was producing and being able to sell it and go into the industry that way. That's so good. It sounds like you've had a dream run. It really does. What about your inspiration? I mean, like, I'm looking at a photo at the moment on my screen of a, a Dalmatian on a unicycle going across <laughs> a tightrope. You know, like, does that come to you like that? Or is this something you build on? Or do you have a, like, just talk to me about inspiration. Well, that was part of, so when I left TAFE, obviously, you know, I hadn't really put it out there that I was photographing pets this way. And so clients weren't sort of around like straight away. So I thought, well, while I'm trying to build my website and start marketing myself, I wanted to work on a project that was something that I wanted to work on and also would be good for marketing my business, I suppose. So I started working on a series called The Carnival of Fur and Four Legs. And that sort of just came to me after seeing, like often I'll see images of humans and be like, wouldn't that be awesome if they're all replaced with animals? So I think I'd seen like these great old vintage carnival shots and been like, oh, imagine, you know, if like there was a carnival where all these, you know, really traditional characters that we all know, like the strongman and, you know, the freak show and the clowns and the ringmasters. Imagine if they were all sort of different animals. So that's sort of how that started. And then once you start down that road, you go, oh, well, 
you know, the ringmaster, who would be, what type of animal would be a good ringmaster and start fleshing that out. Of course, my rabbit had to be the ringmaster. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's just a grouter. So he became the ringmaster. And then the next image I did after that was the kissing booth because every carnival has a kissing booth. And you're like, well, what sort of animal would be in a kissing booth? Well, obviously the most drooly sort of lovable, kissable animal you can find. So I ended up using a French mastiff um, who are just the biggest droolers you'll ever meet they're awesome and so it's just sort of built up from there so for the dalmatian one i realized i wanted a sort of a tightrope sort of character a clown so i just started thinking well what would be a good clown they always wear polka dot sort of outfits so a dalmatian would be perfect with the dots And then I think the white sort of clouds and stuff, that came from a little bit of laziness because I'd done so much cutting out (laughs) of animals. Like recently I was like, oh, my God, what can I do to like not have to cut this Dalmatian out? Oh, put him onto a light background and just overlay the clouds and the blue skies. So that kind of came out of a bit of a time-saving ideas. (laughs) But it sort of, yeah, sort of built up from that really. So, yeah, each, like, you know, the strongest dog in the world ended up being um, oh, one of the little terriers, a border terrier, because you know how, like, little dogs have big dog attitude. Attitude, yes. Yeah, so I wanted to sort of get a little sort of terrier for that. So it kind of, the characters sort of got inspired by the breeds and vice versa, I suppose. And so that's what I worked on for the first sort of six seven months at the beginning of my business and through all of those projects I started basically attracting customers to me because these images were going back to the breeds clubs and because a lot of the so the French Mastiff he is a big popular Mastiff like he used to be I don't they don't get called studs do they that's horses um well, let's just say he produced a lot of <laughs> a lot of French. He was a competition winner. Yes, yes, exactly. And he was used for breeding, and like so, everyone knew this French mastiff. And um, so that image was sort of proudly shown off by the owner to the club, and then so two of the fellow French mastiff owners sort of contacted me. After that, and they became two of my first clients. Wow. And so it sort of went from there with the rest of the carnival images. Um, I used a lot of animals who were belong part of clubs. And so it was sort of like a bit of free advertising for me, I suppose, <laughs> at the end of the day. Were they actually buying then other portraits or were they buying portraits? Like were they commissioning shoots? Yeah, they wanted, they actually just wanted their own kissing booth image. So, oh, okay, with their dog. Yeah, so eight people part of that club actually brought the original artwork because the Mastiff in it was the father of their own dogs. So there was the personal connection right. for them with that artwork. And then two other people wanted their Mastiff in the image. So, yeah, they just came around. I took a photo of them because I'd already built like that whole stage. It was like a head spot then. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so and so they got their own kissing booth um, image. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what about like, so you've talked about that 
that whole scene and that whole genre, I guess, of images with the pets in the circus and the different pets and people that make up those uh, characters, if you get another idea while you're in the midst of doing that, what happens with that idea? Yeah, probably gets put on the sideline for a while. <laughs> and I think that's why. But do you have a book of ideas? Do you make a note oh, on your computer? Yeah. What do you do? No, I've got a notebook. So I did have to put the carnival, I, after I got to 12 or 13, I did sort of put the carnival to rest. I retired the carnival <laughs> because I was like, it's time to start working on other stuff. But I'm always like, stuff always randomly comes to me. So I do just sort of keep a notebook in my bag basically and as soon as something comes to me because it can be quite fleeting at times I write it down and then when it's time to come up with a new idea and work on something new I sort of get the notebook out and see what I've written down and then start fleshing out those little hints of ideas into something doable. If you want to start on something new let's say you want to start on something new tomorrow what's the first step is it to go and source an animal or is it some other work in Photoshop first? Do you work on the backgrounds? What happens first? No, I'll always shoot the animal first generally because at the end of the day, you never know what you are going to get. So sometimes I have the image finished in my head to about 80%, but you do have to sort of allow for things that might not be able to come to reality. And so sometimes, you know, for the Dalmatian shoot, I really wanted the Dalmatian to be looking at the camera, but we just couldn't get there in the end. So the whole rest of the image ended up as I wanted it, but because he wouldn't look at the camera, I ended up putting a rash on his nose and they have a little bit of connection there going on. So that was the little 20% that ended up changing in the final image. So I'll always shoot the animal first. I'll shoot the props usually on the same day and then I will work on the background. Right, okay. So that rat on the Dalmatian sitting on his nose, yeah, it looks like he's dancing on his nose. That was nothing to do with the original concept. That got added in later. Yeah, so that got added in later, yeah. So the original concept was him to be on the unicycle on the tightrope in the clouds with the circus like in the background and for him to sort of have a bit of a, you know, concentrating slash goofy look on his face. But turns out he's quite a serious Dalmatian (laughs) (laughs) And, and, and a little bit shy. Like he did look in the camera a few times but just wasn't, At the end of the day, like the expression of the animal is like the key point to my images quite often. And the expression that he was giving when he looked in the camera just didn't quite suit the image. So I ended up working out that him having this connection with this sort of, you know, mouse or rat, sorry, suited the image 10 times more than him looking at the camera. So, yeah, some things just work out differently at the end of the day. But everything else was perfectly how I envision it in the start but the expression is definitely the key point if you can't get what you want then you have to work around that and sort of adjust the concept a little bit yeah so the rat then so that means you go and source a real rat and photograph it oh i had rats already (laughs) i had plenty of rats yeah like um yeah as you do (laughs) yeah as you do the rats have made quite a few appearances in my work actually because i decided for the trapeze artists of the carnival I wanted to do rats so I contacted um there's such a thing called the what were they called the 
fancy, the rat fancier society of Melbourne. <laughs> so I contacted them and said, hey, you know, I'm doing this and blah, blah, blah. And they're like, sweet, no worries. And I had three ladies turn up on my front doorstep going, hey, the crazy rat people are here. <laughs> and they all came in and they had all these rats. So I was just shooting rats for hours. So I've got a large stock library of rats. So they did make it into quite a few other images. <laughs> Right. Yeah, so when I was working on this Dalmatian and going, oh, God, like there's just something missing. What can I do? Um, yeah, I thought of the rats and thought, well, this will be. And they even had, they brought the hats. Like they had these little rat-sized hats. So I had heaps of shots <laughs> of rats in hats. <laughs> so what excites you more? Is it doing commissioned work for a client or is it creating your own art? Oh, probably doing my own, I suppose, because it's without the pressure of the commission work, which I quite didn't like. It's a bit of a tie, I suppose, between the two, because I do enjoy the challenge of creating something that's going to be beloved by the pet owner, because, you know, as pet owners, we're, we know our animal, we know their character inside and out. And so being able to capture that effectively is really important to me. But it is a stress as well, I suppose, but a good stress. But I suppose my personal work wins out just because I can go down any road, crazy road that I want to. And so at the end of the day, I can do whatever I want. Whereas I suppose commission work, you do have to work within the restraints of what the client wants. Yeah. Is there a different feeling or can you describe the different feeling of when you get paid by a client, when they pick up their commission work and they absolutely love it compared to someone going to Oddball's Oh, sorry, oddballtales.com and purchasing some artwork. Oh, I do have your dances with both. <laughs> well, does one make you feel more like a successful artist or photographer or are they both equal? No, I think they're both pretty equal. I suppose getting the commission work right is more of a challenge. So, yeah, that's pretty important. But I definitely do happy dances with, in both scenarios. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to me, as a photographer, and I'm a different style of photographer to you, so I'm only shooting commission work for money. I don't sell any other work. But to me, to feel like a successful artist, I think if people were coming to me and buying work that I had just shot, I think that would make me like feel like more of an artist, more of a success. So you don't have that feeling. No, because, yeah, no, I think it's pretty much a balance between the both because I think it is such a challenge to get the commission work right. Like, um, so. What do you mean by right? Because if I come to you and I want that photo of Linda and Roxy, I'm leaving it to you. Yeah, but there's something about really capturing what somebody wants. Like it's just like um, it is something that I didn't get when I first started photographing animals for people. It's, it took me a while to get because people would look at expressions of their pet and they'll be like, oh, that's they're, they're anxious right now. Oh, now they're happy. Oh, now they look a little bit worried. And, and you know, it's so particular to pet owners, the the look of their pet and the emotion that they're expressing and capturing that in an image and then telling the pet's story and how that relates to their owner. It's very special sort of bond between the two and getting that right is really important and a huge challenge. So when I get it right, which I hope I do, (laughs) I'm like, no one's told me I haven't got it right yet with the commission work, but I work really hard at it. So for example, I will narrow the headshots that I want to use in the final image down to just three and I will send those usually to the client to make sure that the expression is right 
because it's very particular, I think, to to pet owners, the expression of their pet. What I might read as them being okay, the owner's like, oh, no, they look a little bit anxious, just a little bit of anxiety, and they don't want that up on their wall. Does that? Yeah, that makes I don't sense. Know if that- yeah, because, yeah, exactly, because <laughs> Linda would know exactly how she would want Roxy to look. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's the same with the child. It's the same with one of your kids. You know, you know what their expression is that looks natural and real to you. Yeah, so getting that right and communicating that story because usually they do leave it majority up to me, So, which is good. I love it. But at the end of the time, you sort of also have to be a bit of a mind reader to an extent to, you know, that this is all going to work out. And, and so I always, I always get anxious about that because at, you know, at the end of the day, you just want them to absolutely love it and for it to be cherished forever. And so when I get that right... I get very, very happy about that. It's a big dance because that's all I want at the end of the day is for them to look at that portrait and go, wow, that's encapsulated everything I feel about my pet and they look perfect for it. But, you know, like when people buy my personal work, you know, that's a gratification for my own personal art as well. So that's equally as exciting. (laughs) Absolutely. Do you feel like you're a success? Uh, I don't know. Like on my version of success, which is that I can support the rest of my income and make by my photography, then yes. And I'm doing day in and day out makes me happy. So yeah, yeah, I suppose so. Yeah. Well, it sounds to me after talking to you that it wouldn't matter whether or not you're getting paid for it. It sounds like you would still be doing this and whether or not you're getting paid for it. Is that right or wrong? Yeah, definitely. I suppose at the end of the day, you do have to get paid. <laughs> so if I was doing all this work and it was never, um, if I was never getting paid for it, I probably wouldn't be able to do it as much, I suppose. But it would definitely still be part of my life for sure. Okay. But to be a success, there has to be some income associated with it. Is that the proof that you are a success? Well, I think that I'm able to dedicate as much time as I do I find that successful because I wouldn't be able to, if I couldn't support myself, then I wouldn't be able to spend as much time. I mean, it takes up so much of my time doing all of this, and which is fine by me because at the end of the day, I'm also still able to support myself as well. If I wasn't supporting myself through photography, then I would have to do more nursing, which would probably mean that I wouldn't be as happy and I wouldn't have as much time to spend on creating art. So, yeah, so I think being able to spend so much time on what I do is quite successful for me, I suppose. Awesome. And just to finish off, I mean, you came through TAFE and you did the, you know, you first discovered this through a single project. Is there anyone else that you're still in contact with from your TAFE days or your, your learning days that you see as successful or someone that's taken it further or that is, is making their mark on the photography world like you are? Oh, yeah, I'm sure. Like we had a class, like I only graduated maybe – Three years ago, I think. Yeah, three years ago. So, and my class was not too large. We started off as 20 and I think it went down to maybe 15. And there's probably only five that are working within the industry now, I think. So, I would classify that as a success because it's so hard starting out. 
and they're doing some great work. Like I absolutely adore all of their work. Would you classify it as are they any of those people creating art as you would describe it, or is it all commissioned work? Two of them are working in. So yeah, nobody that I know has gone more into the. Like I definitely do fifty percent of creating my own art and selling it. No one's sort of gone into that realm of things. Mostly they're doing commercial work within the performance scope and like our performance artists and also domestic and wedding right. and doing really well. But, yeah, no one's got into weird-ass pet photography. <laughs> <laughs> There's not that many of us around. <laughs> I think weird-ass pet photography is the perfect place to, to finish <laughs> off this interview. Before I let you go, Angie, where is the best place for the listener to check out your work? Because I know you've got oddballtales.com for your fine artwork. You've also got Angie Connell. Is Angie Connell photography.com? angieconnellphotography.com.au and then I'm definitely more active on Instagram on the Oddball Tales uh, Instagram at the moment. I've discovered that I'm totally incapable of (laughs) maintaining two social media streams. So while I'm launching Oddball Tales, I'm definitely more active on that. But I'm hoping to find the balance between the two soon enough. I've never been hugely prolific on social media, to be quite honest. But yeah, so I'm definitely interacting more on Oddball Tales Instagram. Fantastic. Well, I'll add links to all those in the show notes and I'll have some examples of your amazing work there so the listener can check those (laughs) out. Angie, a massive thanks for coming on. I know that we had to reschedule because a lentil had to go and visit the vet, I think, at 2 a.m. the last yeah. time we had this scheduled. Yeah, I know. He was not a well boy, but he's bounced back. So that's it's bounced good. back. That's very good. <laughs> <laughs> so, Angie, look, again, a massive thanks for coming on. Really appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome. I hope I made sense. I can kind of go into weird rambling (laughs) where I don't get convinced that I'm still speaking English, but um, but anyway. Fantastic. (laughs) I hope you did enjoy that interview as much as I did. Angie, if you're listening, I know that you were nervous about coming on and doing today's interview, but you are an absolute amazing woman, super talented photographer. I just can't say enough good things about you. I just want to say a massive thanks for coming on and sharing what you did. I'm looking forward to seeing more of your work in the future. And I know I know in my heart that uh, you are a photographer, that if you continue to do what you do, we will be talking about you. Well, <laughs> people will be talking about you long after you and I are gone because you are creating something special, something amazing. So congratulations to you. I just love what you're doing. For you, the listener, if you have any follow-up questions for Ange, leave a comment in the show notes, even if you just want to say thanks for coming on the show and sharing what she did. Again, you can find those at photobizx.com forward slash tpx25. The comments section is at the very bottom of that page. And if you haven't had a chance to see Angie's work yet, there's an example of what she's doing there. Plus, I've got links to her website, social media accounts, and where you can find her online. Just before I go, there has been, you may have noticed if you are subscribed to this podcast, quite a break between episodes. I guess I was distracted by the whole European trip and recording those interviews. 
So if you do like this format, this style of interview from me, and you'd like to hear more from photographers like Ange, let me know. Feel free to email me with your suggestions for different guests that you'd like to hear on the show in this format where we're not so focused on the business side of things where I can try and get into the head of the photographer and find more about why they do what they do and a little bit about how they do what they do as well. I'd love to get your feedback. Love to hear your suggestions. You can reach me on email and it's andrew at photobizx.com. Alrighty, that's it for me. Have an amazing week and I'll chat to you soon. Bye for now. You've been listening to the Photo Experiment Podcast with Andrew Helmich, brought to you by PhotoBizX, the podcast to help you build a successful portrait and wedding photography business. To learn more, head to photobizx.com.